0: Gentlemen, would you like to come in and uh, grab your seats? Fill up from the front. We're just getting a couple of last minute bits and bobs going, but uh, grab your tea, coffee. There's some very empty groups here right in front of me and right in front of Rico shortly, so do come and fill up from the front. That's right, General. Wonderful. Make your way up. This one needs some filling. We're going to uh, crack on as time is against us. This group still needs some members. Harry, yes, Jack, come and fill in here. Here you go, boys. It is fantastic to see so many uh, of you here this morning, guys. Um, Thank you so much for coming along. My name is Pat Allerton. I'm involved uh, in helping run... Burning Man here in partnership with St Michael's Chester Square, and it is uh, well—it's a real joy and thrill to see so many of you here for the start of a new term. For those of you who might not know, the vision of Burning Man is simple: we want to see Jesus getting the glory He deserves in London. We don't feel uh, that He does from enough men across churches and across London generally. So Burning Man wants to play its part in raising up strong men of God, and we believe we can do this by laying on first-class Bible teaching from some of the finest uh, Bible teachers we can find. So that's what we go after. Uh, it's open to men of any church, and we believe in making a stand and taking a stand uh, as men in London at this time to stand for Christ. And we believe that the, the more we understand the scriptures, the more confidently we'll move forward in our faith and taking that faith to others. So uh, thank you for joining us this morning. If you don't or didn't already receive an email from me, that's probably because uh, I don't have your email address. So if you'd like to be kept abreast of uh, all things Burning Man and the rest of the term series, then please do before you leave. Try and grab me uh, to give me your email address or perhaps it's easier to take down mine. So if you've got a pen, paper or a phone, uh, it is simply pat at stdionis.org.uk. But we can deal with that later because we don't want you to miss a thing. Uh, so we're thrilled that today we have a bit of a, a one-off uh, with Rico, who I'm going to introduce in just a moment, but after this point, in two weeks' time, we kick off our series for the term, which is going to be called uh, The Tough Sayings, where we're really looking to take on the tough sayings of Jesus, the stuff he said where you just read it in the Bible, and you're like, how did that Get through the first editorial process. I mean, it, it sounds harsh. You can't quite believe Jesus said it. Things like hating your own family, gouging out uh, your eye, uh, loving your ISIS enemy. I mean, he didn't mention ISIS, but we, you know, we throw that in. That sort of stuff. We want to, we want to take it the bull by the horns. So we would love to have you uh, with us for that. We'd love you to bring your friends, bring a brother, uh, so that kicks off in two weeks' time with Jonathan Fletcher. And we've got an incredible lineup. But without further ado, we're thrilled to have Rico back with us. He was with us in May. Uh, looking at the first half of a uh, uh, two-part series, really, in evangelism, the why of evangelism. I believe you're looking at the how uh, today, Rico. But um, have you got a, had a good summer, Rico?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, September's brutal, isn't it? You sort of get back, sort of church life. August is just a delight. In September, you go through about three gears. So I'm just... Yeah, you, know, you you all work normal lives. We we we'd never do anything in August in the church. So anyway, there we go. That's quite, quite
0: right. Never. I'm, I'm, it's a studied indolence. My life in August. Anyway, there we go. So you're easing yeah. in, and I know yeah. what a big uh, well rugby player you were, and rugby oh, fan no. you still are. So uh, with the World Cup coming up, how do you see things going? Uh, well, I think that I do
1: think that you've got to work out a way of being able to play your bad boys. So. I think we've lost Stefan Armitage, who we, you've just got to have an open side who can get you quick ball, quick second-phase ball, um, and Manu, again, the, uh, the, the centre that we've lost. And they're both, you know, Manu particularly, behaved terribly, but how do you manage your bad boys? Because there is a gifting there. So I think we're going to be massively short of uh, power in the centre, even though we've got Burgess knocking around. Mm. So I'm a bit... I'm, a, I'm not as encouraged as I could be.
0: There we are. You see us getting out of the group, at least.
1: Uh, well, no, I think that I, well, I, I I think that Pocock is going to stop us winning against Australia. I think he's going to get all the second phase
0: balls. So no, I'm not very encouraged. No, I'm not really no. <laughs> not very hopeful. Yeah. Well, without further ado, I think we need yeah. to pray. So why don't yeah, we are. stretch yeah. a yeah. hand out towards Rico and England generally, <laughs> yeah. and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather as men, Lord, men of yours uh, who know and love you and want to make your name great in this city and beyond, Lord. And we thank you for Rico and his ministry. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just quicken him right now with what he's going to do, what, he, what he's going to impart to us this morning. Lord, would we hear your heart through him? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Great, everyone. When I last came here, I mentioned this verse. I'll say it again. Let me start with it. Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. If you've got notes, do jot them down or Bibles. Ah, oh, they're coming here. Are these, the, these are the photocopies. Wonderful. Great, let's give those out. This is my fault. I didn't get them organized. If we can, if we can get these round, because we've got it written down on there. So can we all take them? Thanks so much. And we've got the verse there. Great. Just for you to take this away. I just thought I'd kick off by, um, uh, super everyone. Thanks, Tim. Just giving you this just to take away the, I find no verses in all of scripture give me more encouragement for evangelism, and I love to start with them, than Acts 17, 27. Can you see them there, brothers? There we are. So Paul writes in Athens, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek out for him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. In other words, what is going on in history? God is sovereign, and for all those he has made, and he gives us each breath. So the the underlying sort of fact on this is Colossians 1, that in him and through him and for him, all things were made. Jesus, the creator, from one man uh, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed uh, uh, times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, what's going on, it means that everybody around you, your neighbors and your work colleagues, are not there by their own choice. They are there because God has put them there next to you. That's what we've got to believe. The sovereign Lord who made them has placed them there. People living opposite me, they work for BP. They think they're there by choice. No, God has put them there opposite me. That's what's happened. Do you see what the verse says? He marks out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of the land. He, he, he marks out how long they live and where they live, the refugees coming into Britain, into this world, into, into Europe. God's hand is on that. And that gives me great confidence to enjoy, celebrate and share life. If I'm on the bus opposite somebody, God has put them there. He's the sovereign that decides it. We mustn't think it's all about human choice. Yes, people make real choices, but that doesn't stop God being God. Look at the crucifixion. Everyone acted against Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, Pilate. But that didn't stop God being God and his purposes working out. They did what your will and power decided beforehand should happen, we read in Acts uh, uh, chapter 4. So your colleagues that you sit next to as you go into work this morning, gentlemen, are there because God has put them there next to you. And what is his aim? Do we see the next verse? God did this so they'd seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. So they think, they think Christianity with us is some funny little odd hob- hobby. No, no, the big picture is God is making a people for himself and causing them to grow more like Jesus. That's what's going on in history, because everything revolves around Jesus. Before him, we'll stand at judgment. That is what's going on in history. And that's where our confidence comes from. And it transforms my energy and my optimism in evangelism. God has put my colleagues next to me. And God's will is that they find Jesus, who has given them each breath. That's what's happening in history. Can I say, if you believe that, that the Sovereign Lord has given you and them life, they're not just there by their own choice, then it transforms things. So that is our confidence. But secondly, what's our mandate? Can we look down as well at uh, uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20? Now, just for your notes, just look at the alls here. There are four alls. uh, Kakao is the word. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. The word is all again. I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, Matthew 28, of course, the the, the foundation for this is the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. Putin will die. He'll have no more authority then. Mugabe will die. Jesus they tried to kill, but he was raised. That's why he's Lord and God. Not just that he made the world, but he was raised from the dead. And therefore, he says, Rico, you have all authority to speak to everyone about me because it's my world and I'm the final judge. All authority. Every refugee coming in, whatever their background, everyone of uh, uh, whatever religion they come from, Sikh, Muslim, Hindu, they all belong to Jesus. And I have all authority to speak to them because it is His world. So those are the two things, and I I am to speak to them, I'm to to, go and make disciples of all nations, and it's wonderful there, isn't it? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, welcoming them into the Trinity. So grace is, if you like, the vehicle, the cross is the means by which I come into this relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I am in the dance, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they've been loving each other from the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time. And then they, whilst, then they welcome me into that. My father has dementia. Sometimes I take my son and my dad to the loo in the same hour. And um, uh, um, it's been a terrible thing watching him drop into the dust. He used to be a BAT director and watching my dad just dwindle away. But who is my father? Came came to Christ in his 70s. And who is my father? He is in the Trinity. That is his identity. He has an eternity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is who, who he is. He's not some old boy who's just dropping into the dust. He has this future. And I have all authority to speak to the world about that so they can have the eternal future my father's got, despite his dementia. So those two things, brothers, our confidence and our mandate, you have all authority to speak, And the people that are next to you in the office are put there by Christ so that you speak to them. Now, that's where we are. That's what the Bible says. Can we just flick uh, over the page there, the culture in London? What I'd like you to do now, just for five minutes, just take one minute on each, is just in your groups, or just in pairs, define each of the words that we've got there. Do you see what do they mean? Relativism, pluralism, individualism, gender, consumerism. So this is the London we're in, and I don't want to be naive about what we're facing as you walk into work, because as I speak about all authority, you're going, yeah, well, Rico, that's not quite how people see life at the moment in London. And let's just be honest about it. So you've just got five minutes. Just just in pairs or in threes, just say, what do each one of these words mean? I've written these big words. I'm dyslexic. I had to get my secretary to spell them. But nevertheless, just what, are they, um, what do they mean, those words, just so that we're on it. Okay, over to you, and then we'll come back. Okay. Great. It's just we've just got to know what's knocking around in the culture on the streets in which we live. So let's just knock through it. Relativism. What's relativism? Don't leave the fat Anglican strand at the front here, everyone. What, what's someone give me a hand on? What's relativism? What does it mean? Anyone? Yep. That's right. All all claims to truth are relative. There's no absolute truth. So I've been giving you a meta-narrative so far this morning that everything belongs to Jesus. And they would say, well, no, that's just a power play. And the author is dead. You can't know what he meant. He has no authority. The documents are written by the winners. And control, uh, uh, truth is all about control. And therefore, everything uh, 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 is relative. So the real joy of a text is to play with it and get get out of it whatever you like. Okay, so Foucault, who is the guy that did this, said you can't know truth, you can't know the author, you can't know right and wrong. Um, God is a prior assumption, if you put that in. Um, uh, uh, God revealing truth is an ultimate evil, it's a tool of oppression. That's it, this truth stuff is oppressive. That's uh, the thing behind relativism. Pluralism, because truth is relative, pluralism, all ideas must be treated with equal respect. Because there's no objective standard by which we can evaluate the merits of everything. there's no objective standard, so you treat everything um, with equal respect. Um, If someone claims something is true, well, that's a call for submission and obedience, which is exactly what the Bible is true. The resurrection is a call for submission and obedience. That's that's what they hate. And, um, uh, 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 you know, so the only thing I ask about any bit of information I get is, does it work for me? because I'm the arbiter of truth and conduct. This is why Christian Explored and Alpha are having a more difficult time now. Because it used to be we'd sit around the table and the Bible's in the middle and people were looking at that truth. But now people are more offended by being in these groups because they're saying, look, this is my truth. And when you say that from the Bible, it's offending me. You see, it's a different, slightly different dynamic in these groups, which is why I think, you know, as a coarse guy, we've got to do more and more one-to-ones. Um, uh, 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 next one individualism i think therefore i am so the individual is the only arbiter of value or reality um uh, uh, uh it's a, it's a narcissistic consumer society dedicated to pandering to my needs so the great question is on individualism is this do i feel fulfilled does it work for me which means that in church, you see, the reason Burning Man is so important, in church people come as consumers because everything else is about consumption. I come as a consumer. But they, they're, they're not, it's, it's, it's a, you know, they, they, they're, they're customers, not servants. They're believers, not disciples. Abortion is a right to choose. Church is a private leisure pursuit for my fulfillment. And I'll go along to that church while it works. If it doesn't, I'll go along to another one. All Souls isn't working, I'll try St. Michael's. So the self is enthroned by denying God sin and truth. Do I feel fulfilled? That's the great issue there. Gender. What about gender? What's the big issue on gender? Well, texts exercise power. They must be deconstructed. Genesis 2, which tells me that uh, Genesis 1 and 2, we're made male and female. That's terrifying. They must be given new meanings for men, women, minorities, gay community, whatever it is. Because um, uh, uh, no absolute gives me freedom. The only absolute is that I must have an absolute choice. So what does it mean to be human in terms of gender? Well, live outside the norm. Escape domination. Construct oneself in the sexuality we find fulfilling. Build your life on your dreams. Outside a rigid morality. Outside rigid morality. And everything is about personal preference. So gender, male, female, is just a construct of the environment we're in. Male and female are irrelevant labels imposed by society. Yes, sex is biological, but gender is imposed. These things ring true? Do you see this is is what what, what we're in, isn't it? This is what we're doing as we're seeking to live for Christ. Consumerism. Okay, what's consumerism, just for your nights? No, life is built around personal preference. So, so how do so you know we enjoy things of transient value, but the key thing is is that is that is that I earn money so that I can fulfil my choices, and at the heart of consumerism, now you'll be hitting this guys in your work all the time. Do write this down: is the paucity principle, the paucity principle, and the paucity principle says the cake is a set size. I have to get as much of it as I can. So life is competition for limited resources. And the fear of not having enough drives so much of the media narrative. If you get the Sunday Times, and I do because the sport's quite good, but if you get the Sunday Times, okay, it's all about the paucity principle, particularly this time of year. Your children will not get their education. You'll lose your job. You can't buy your house. Because the cake's only a certain size, and you've got to compete and get as much of it as you can. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created through him and for him. So that means I trust the Lord to give me what I need. I, I trust my children's education to him. Oh yeah, I've got to work. But the Lord is the one. So the cake's not a certain size. The Lord is the one who gives rain and bread. It's not just there's a certain size and I've got to compete and get as much as I can of limited resources. Well, the Lord is the one who provides. So, guys, just to say that's the culture we're in. And that means that when it comes to evangelism, there is a pain line that you have to cross. And I think if there's one thing I want to say today, it's that word, the pain line. In other words, when it comes to speaking to people about the Christian faith, you are risking things because we're in a culture... Where there is this hostility, those five things I've just outlined all all depict the the, the individual has got to be absolutely at the top, and all those things mean there's a bit of a pain line. So there's a nervousness as we speak about Christian faith. But here's the issue. If you cross that pain line, you might hit hostility or you might hit hunger. Can I tell you that the church in London, the electoral rolls are growing by 2.5% a a year uh, uh, in this city. The Bishop of London would be the first bishop to retire since the Second World War with a larger diocese than the one he arrived with. And actually, his diocese has just about doubled. It is staggering what's happening in London in terms of spiritual revival. It doesn't feel like that because the media tell us all these things aren't true. Can I tell you, it's growing and growing and growing. It's amazing. God is doing his work in this city. Now You can't get anything more boring, can you, than the electoral rolls of Anglican churches. They're going up two and a half percent. I mean, can I give you a more boring stat? If that's happening, something's really happening. But as you speak of the Christian faith, when you talk about it, you might hit hostility, you might hit hunger, and you don't know what one you're going to get, which is why a lot of Christians are silent. So what do we then do then? Three things just for your notes. We're going to go through this. But there are three things that, that we've got to get in place if we're to do this work of evangelism. And so the first one is being, doing, and telling. Those are your three words we've got to get in place. And we're going to co- talk about crossing the pain line. The first one being, what does it mean in this city where I've got relatives and pluralism, individualism, gender? I mean, on my street, there are three gay couples. We know them all. My son, Peter, helps Brian, water his plants. You know, there we are. We're in relationship with these people. But what does it mean? How do we get the gospel out and celebrate them? Well, number one being, for your notes, Genesis 127, people are made in God's image. God has created mankind in his own image, male and female. He he created them. So that gives them value. They are at the pinnacle of God's creation, these people they are someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, brother, in your relationship with people at work and in your relationship with your neighbors as you walk past them or whatever, are you not only understanding that God has sovereignly put you next to these people, but they are the pinnacle of God's creation and therefore they're to be celebrated. So my question is, is that happening? Now, my my, my dad becomes a Christian in his 70s. One of the key things that happens to him is he meets John Chapman, who's an Australian evangelist. They sort of play golf together he starts reading some of chapo's books as i'm trying to you know he thinks his son's become a total nutter and become this christian interestingly with my dad a colleague of his got converted who was also in tobacco and and he got converted in his 60s and he said to my dad one day they're sort of both about 65 he said your son rico he's a religious fundamentalist you know a bit of a nutcase really and my dad said oh yeah he said yeah trevor but he's right And i said he's right he said oh no he's right and you must support him can i tell you my life changed from that moment so if you've got fathers that are non-Christians, pray for men you can get alongside them. They've known many years who, have, who in God's sovereignty have come to faith. That was a, a turning point in my life when that bloke said that to my dad. But my dad plays golf with this guy called John Chapman, okay? Chapo, here's the key to celebrating people, asks him questions all day about tobacco, about East Africa, about his career, about family. Dad, I mean, he just, he just was interested in life. I really learned that from John Chapman. Brother, are you someone who asks people's questions? Just keep asking questions. I was at Theological College and at tw- with some people who at 25 had stopped asking questions. They just answered them. I pity the churches they're in now. 25, they plateaued. We're people that ask questions. That's how we celebrate people. So the guy next door to me, he's 82. He's very anti-Christian faith, but he's a real petrol head you know i'm getting into the grand prix for the first time i just ask him we're going to try and go off to something but i just want to celebrate him and that's not to celebrate him so that he'll become a christian it's to celebrate him because he's made in god's image just that he's there it's just great anyone i read the bible with i can assure you will get a working knowledge of rugby football it's just a, i've just got to do that i can't allow them to go through life and not understand the glories of that game i can't do it They've got to know about Jesus and rugby. Those are the two things. Everything else in life's detail, as far as I can see. No, no, I mean that. I'm not being funny. I really mean it. I've got 300 rugby books. Wherever I go, I go to a secondhand bookshop and get them. So when in my marriage vows, I said to my wife, all that I have, i give to you. The lucky girl, she got rugby books. 300. I'll die first. I'm so much older than her. She's got all those rugby books. And sometimes, if she's good, I do a little reading for her, if she's good. <laughs> my best moment with my wife was this okay it was before the six nations started a couple of years ago okay it, so we're playing france at the start of the six nations and i'm so excited about it i wake her up at 3 30 in the morning i just woke her up and she knew i'd woken her up and she looked at me and she, and she said it will be decided in the first 25 minutes in the front five because it's a wet day and really it will be decided up front turned over went back to sleep <laughs> it was the most romantic thing i would ever heard in my life I lay in bed and I went, this is the most beautiful woman in the world. It'll be decided up front, the first 25 minutes, front five will decide it. It'll be a wet day, turned over. Oh, gosh. That, that's sex. Now, you've just, guys, listen. Are you someone who who asks questions? We just ask questions. And asking questions helps us celebrate people. We find out about their lives. That's what we do. Because they're made in God's image and they're worthy of it. And and the way in which we we get excited about them is we're praying for them. So you've got your little prayer list of your street and you're praying for them and you know what they love and you make sure you ask those questions and you you just find out about their lives. And I don't ask questions so they'll ask me back, although that would be nice. I just ask questions because I'm interested, because they're made in God's image and Christ died for them. And so people know whether you really celebrate them or not. They know whether you really like them or you're trying to use them. And we've got to pray, Lord, help me to give me a real affection for them. You've put them next to me. That's the first thing. Secondly, doing. What are we doing? Well, for your notes, Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a a, a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she uh, light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? What are we doing? We are, make, we are going on an all-out search for people. And the thing that um, Luke 15 tells me is that seeking the lost is incredibly hard work. Brothers, it's really hard work to seek the lost we have got to we got to, you know if you if you're if you're looking for a coin and you've lost it and you have to turn the whole house over it's hard work if you've got a if you're a shepherd and you've got to go and find a lost sheep and leave 99 it's brutal so um, i wrote this i wrote this book honest evangelism and uh the first bit of the bible i put in it was luke 15 because we're searching for the lost and actually there's great joy in finding them but an all out search is launched there's rejoicing across heaven when people are found But there's an all-out search. It is exhausting. So as we get to know them and as we interact with questions, as we search for them, what do we do? Well, here's what we do for your notes. Random acts of kindness. Just be kind. Random acts of kindness. Because you've asked questions... Here's the question you need to, to, to do, and I expect you to know this intuitively of your work colleagues and your labour neighbors. This is what you should know. If you're a Christian and you're searching for the lost brothers, what's your biggest pressure? What's the biggest pressure they've got? The people next door to you, the people you're working with, actually your work colleagues. If you're, you know, church workers for me with my colleagues as well, you, I, they shouldn't have to tell me. I should just know by just going. What's the biggest pressure they've got? My dad's going into a home on Monday. We've got to move him. It's going to be desperately difficult. I don't know how we're going to do this. But at the moment, that's my biggest pressure, I think. So, but we should know that. We should be praying about it. We should be looking to alleviate it. And then this is very interesting. Um, uh, Let me read you 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. This is fascinating, okay? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Did you hear that? Live such good lives among the pagans though they accuse you of doing wrong. So we're in a hostile culture, gender, individualism, pluralism, all these things are there. But because you're living such good lives... They see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. In other words, they, they 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 see the way you're living and they glorify God. Now, just as an example of this, we've got Bishop Munir Ali Annie, uh, 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 from Egypt on Sunday, speaking at All Souls at our 9.30, 11.30, and, and 6.30, on migration, world on the move, which we organised a year ago. But God in His sovereignty had this. So he, he, we booked him. He's coming to speak. I'm inviting all the neighbours. I'm inviting all my neighbors. I'm inviting the gay couples. I'm personally doing a note saying, we've got a, we've got a, a bishop from uh, Egypt speaking about migration. We all saw the toddler on the beach. If you'd like to come, we'd love you to come. Come and help us. Um, the gay guy who lives upstairs from me, um, uh, with, with his partner, well, I invited him to our homeless stuff. So we have sort of 400 people that work with different homeless things through the week. They do sandwich making. They, there's an overnight tea run um there's a hospitality thing they do there's a, a, a welcome center so we just try and uh, volunteers just help once a month but i said to this guy i said look why don't you come come and help us and he said to me my next door neighbour nick he said um, uh, actually Rico, that's too much reality for me but but we see what we're, what we're doing is we're the ones living doing reality when i do the migration invite to them all we're the ones doing reality I go along the street and I get the clothes off the women because um, uh, uh, the, the, the clothes they're not using. Um, and, um, and there's a, my cross-dress. As you can see, their clothes don't really fit me, actually. It's not very really good. But, um, but, but there's, a, there's a prisons ministry. And, and for, for uh, women that come out of prison, for their first interview, they can wear, they, they, they want nice clothes. So then we drop the clothes off. We organize a letter going to them. We just draw them in. On a Thursday night, uh, t- tonight, there are 200 prostitutes in the, in the area that we visit. Our women visit them um, uh, in a thing called Tamar, and they like to be taken, get, um, to have cakes. So we, we, I get people on the street to cook cakes to take to, to people who are in the sex industry, and some of whom, you know as, as we're finding, have, have been brought in illegally and all the rest of it. But what you're doing is you are drawing people into works of service. You're saying, come and help us. So on the migration letter I'm going to write to to the neighbors, I'm going to say, we'd love to have your help with this. We'd love you to come and help. Just come and help. So although they speak against us, because the culture's against us, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and they go, well, you know, we're glad they're here really. And as Christians, we know, you know, I mean, you, I, you know, I'm amazed what the church family do and the lives they live. You know, honestly, it all solves the number of them, that the Henry Kissinger in their family just holding it together as the only objective person they all trust. You know, we've got the avenues into these works of service. Do you want to come and help? So that's what we're doing. We're, we're doing random acts of kindness. We're giving them opportunities um, uh, to come and do that. But thirdly, telling, telling. So what do we then tell? As you ask questions and as you get to know people, as you celebrate them, as you then serve them with random acts of kindness, then, brothers, on telling, you have to work out what is the pain line question for each person along your street. So the person sitting next to you in the desk next to you You have to have a question. And when you ask this question, there'll be a nerve because you don't know whether you're going to get hostility or hunger. But it's about a question. You've got to know them. You celebrate them. But there's the question. So, for example, with the the guy who's um, in the gay lifestyle that my son helps water the plants, I'm just going to say to him, and, you know, I had an opportunity earlier uh, uh, earlier in the summer. I totally bottled it as Peter sits and waters the plants with him. I'm going to say to him, do you think this all Do you think this all got made by God? I mean, what's your what's your view on the God thing and plants and the rest of it? I don't know what he's going to do for that. Do you know, I'm scared of right answer asking the question. My son's four. I think I'm going to get him to ask it. I'll coach him and get him to do it and say, oh, silly boy, what did you think of that? I don't know. What I'm saying is, though, that for everyone, as we get to know people, there should be a question that just from celebrating them opens up a conversation. So, for example, there's a girl on the street um, uh, uh, called Elle. I won't tell you her real name, but she She's got back, she's got back and neck injuries, and they—you know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're very well off and the rest of it. But this back thing, and you know, it's—it's it's always there. And I'm going to say to her, "What happens if it never gets better?" Because there are lots of people in my church family who live in chronic pain. What happens if it never gets better? Because you see, what she's focused on is human happiness, which is get the externals right. But what Christians have, Philippians, is, is Christian joy. So I think of people, I think of Sheila Toogood in chronic pain, and yet she's a woman of great joy because she's sustained by the Spirit of God. So for each person that you know, what we should be doing is developing a pain line question. And you've got to have the courage to ask the question. C.S. Lewis said, courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without it, you're nowhere. You see, Pontius Pilate was compassionate and forgiving until it became risky. No point being a man of truth in the city until that truth is tested. No point saying, oh, look, I'm into marital fidelity until actually someone offers. The young intern says, well, let's go back together. I know you're 20 years older than me, but why don't we do this? That's when you need courage. Courage is the most important virtue. It's all about guts. And so what we have to do is we get to know them, we, 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 you know, being, they're made in God's image, we look to live lives of service, random acts of kindness, but we develop for all of them the pain line question. What is the question? I, and I don't know which way they're going to go with it. They might shut the whole thing down. They might push you away. They might say, well, actually, yeah, I'm, you know, what do you make of that? But we all know in the culture that actually it, it does change. Let's note that you can be as charming as you like, But we all think as Christians, this is going to be a natural move. I'm going to naturally be able to move into this. Can I tell you, there's a pain line that you cross as you ask the question. Because it's a spiritual battle. Because Ephesians 6, where the principalities and powers are at work on this. And there's no way around it. And in order to ask that pain line question, I've got to have my identity secure. So I said this last time. I've got to have, just for my notes, Romans 5 verse 8 in place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God demonstrates his love for us in this. So whether you accept or reject me doesn't make me more valuable. What makes me valuable is Christ died for me. And because I care for you, because I care more about what God thinks of you on judgment day than what you think of me now, I'm going to ask this question. Now we do it with a smile. May, who do you think made the flowers? Oh, Al, what happens if you never get better? What happens if the back pain never comes through? I've got people in my church family. I'm not being morbid. I'm just being straight. I was with a great friend of mine yesterday, and um, he's, had a, he's had a massive brain tumor. He's called James Schoen, and he's going to write a book about it. And he's being remarkable. He's a man of remarkable... I tell you, you talk about courage. He's amazing. We talking about this book he wants to write, and he said, well, do you think I should write it? I said, yeah, because you might die soon. You've got half a tumor still in your head. He said, oh, no one's put it like that yet. Yeah? But what I'm saying is, is that that's a pain, you know, what I'm saying is that we've just got to be straight with people. It's why we listen to Simon Cowell, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you, you wait for him to make the thing, because you know, he's going to tell it straight. Now we've got to do it with love for people. So as I ask the pain line question, there are two things I've got to be saying to myself internally. Here are the two things. Number one, I'm for you. I'm for you. I've got to know this person. I care about you. I'm for you. So internally, it's like the swing thought playing golf. I'm for you. Get through the ball. I'm for you. The second thing you've got to be saying to yourself is this. I believe in the Holy Spirit because he is the great evangelist. But it's still risky. 165,000 Christians get martyred every year. It's still risky. We're not in that place, but it's still going to be hard, guys. Nothing compared to that. But, yeah, there can be rejection. You can be frozen out. Okay, so what are they then going to say back to me? I don't know what they're going to say back to me. That's my pain line question. I don't know. We're going to try and open up a discussion. If they don't want to go, they're fine. I'll go on with random acts of kindness and celebrating them. But I've got to have a bit of a framework in terms of what, what I'm going to then say back. So can we just uh, hand this out just the last five minutes just so we can get one of these out? Here's a little framework that, that I think is just great. Can we all just... All right, can we just get these out? To everyone? Thanks so much. Great. Can everyone just have one each? That would be great. So... Oh. I've got my pain line question. So what, what we need to be doing is developing what's the right question for each person that means you know their life and this is the issue that they're at. I'm doing my being. I'm doing my, 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 my serving them. Being and doing is happening. But as I'm telling... Can you just have a quick look at that? So just have a look at the six boxes there. Um, because I've got dyslexia, I do find pictures are great. Um, but anyway, so sorry if you're a linear thinker. Um, uh, um, uh, uh, just have a quick look at that. So this is the framework I've got. I don't know what they're going to say back to me, but here's a framework I've got that whatever they say back, I, I've just got something to ask back or just a bit of a framework to put it onto. Let's have a look here. Here it is. I'm going to do now, so here's another pain line I'll do. I'll say to people, I'll say, listen, can you let me give you the Christian faith in two minutes? Give me two minutes and I'll do an outline of the Bible. Can I say, if someone said to me, I'll give me the, give me the Quran in two minutes, I'll go, yeah, great, fine. So you just ask the question, they might like it, but they can only say yes or no. So I spend my life saying, in two minutes, let me do the Bible. This is what I do with it. I hope you can you see around the corner, you can see it there. So here's the outline I've got. And as they're asking questions, this is the framework of, the, of, 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 of a Bible overview. By the way, it's interesting. This was developed by a guy called Philip Jensen in Australia, in Sydney, and he did it to teach people the creed. So they said, here's a visual outline of the creed. Anyway, they were teaching it to people as a discipleship class, and it was so great, they started using it automatically with their non-Christian friends. So they started using it for evangelism, by mistake. Wonderful, God sovereign, there you are. So here we go. Here's, here's the Christian faith in two minutes. Are you ready? God, that's the crown. Made man, that's the man, and put us into his world. That's the circle. By the way, it's not too complicated, is it? We all right? Can we all see? So God made man, put us into his world. The crown is God, that's man, and he put us into his world. And I tend to, there's a verse there, but I go for Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God made the world. So God's created us in his world. Um, He has the one with authority, and he's put us into his world. And then all I say is this. I say all the gifts are from him. Fun, family, friends, falling in love, food, fitness, all the Fs. It's all a gift, but that's not the world as we see it. The problem is God is still God, but we've ignored God and we put the crown on our own head. And we say, I'll be God, which is the heart of sin. And sin isn't so much rule breaking, it's rule making. So you've got lots of successful friends in the city. They ignore God, but there are lots of God's laws they keep because life goes better that way. They tell the truth. Bible says it, but life works better. They don't. They're, they're faithful to their wives. Bible says it, but they do it because they know that's how it works. But sin is rule making. They make up the rules as it suits them. They make the rules. They take some of God's. They, you know, but sin is rule making. I'll be God. What happens with this? Well, there comes a day when we die, because the Bible says sin leads to death. Box three. And when we die, please jot this down, God asks us two questions at the end of our lives. These are the two questions you'll be asked at the end of, the, of your lives. Number one, God will ask you, did you know me? That's box one. I made you for a relationship, did you know me? That's the first question you will ask you at the end of your life. The second question you will ask will be box two, did you have your sin forgiven? It's a great thing, isn't it, to know what questions are coming up in the exams. I remember, it was my dyslexia, I was just hopeless. And we used to have at school, we'd have a 40-word French vocab test each week, at the end of term, 400 words. At the end of the summer term, 1,200 words. Well, I was dead meat until I broke into the head. This is before I was converted. I broke into the head of the department's office and stole the 100-word French vocab test. The pass mark was 70, and I got 71 and a half, and I knew what questions were coming. Can you tell? I'm, just, I'm with two other guys who got 99 each. But can I tell you, I can't tell you the joy there was as I sat there knowing what the questions were going to be. Oh, the relief of it. And then I thought, gosh, it better be the right paper we stole. Anyway, it was. We were fine. I'm not commending cheating. I'm just saying it's great to know what the questions are. Well, here we go. Okay, judgment day. Judgment day. God will say, Rico, do you know me and have you had your sin forgiven? So God's made us. We've sinned There's a day of judgment. Well, if that is true, but miserable. What do we then know? Well, wonderfully, God in his mercy, box four, sent a man into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, and... He sent this man into the world. He lived perfectly. He never sinned. He always lived box one as we should, but he died on a cross. And so here's the heart of it. Why did he die? Why did he die? And the answer is, of course, for me. It's not just a Galilean carpenter dying. He died for me in my place. How do you know it's true, Rico? That's the link to box four, to box five. Uh, How do you know it's true? I know it's true because Christ rose. He rose from the dead, he got through death himself, he can get me through. So the resurrection, just for your notes, is three things. One, it shows Jesus is alive. Secondly, it shows he's judge. And thirdly, it shows he's king. He's alive, he's judge, he's king. But also, how do I know this is true? The body disappeared, the body reappeared, the church emerged. So we're saying our faith is built on solid historical evidence. I know it's against the laws of nature, But God broke into, it's an open universe, God broke into this world. He reversed the laws of nature to prove this was his son. So I believe in an open universe, not a closed universe. So that's the resurrection. Christ rose from the dead. It leaves me with a choice. Either I can live my own way in life, crown on my own head. And by the way, many of your colleagues in the city and elsewhere will do that jolly well because God has lavished them with gifts in box one. Quite hard to you know, muck up if you've been dealt two aces and two kings in the card game of life. A lot of them have. I don't begrudge them their lives. God's lavished them with gifts. They've taken the gifts, ignored him. Their only problem is judgment day. That was the rich man at Lazarus. Or I can go, no, I'll live under God's authority in his world, box six there, through the forgiveness won me on the cross. Now, that's my framework that's an outline that I've got there. When the question comes in, I'm trying to, I'm gonna try, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, as they ask me the question, I'm doing three E's. Please drop the three E's down as they ask me the question. Explore, explain, encourage. Explore. Listen, listen, listen to the, the question. Listen, what have they just said? Explain. What's the little thing to say? Encourage. How do I put flesh on this from my own life? But in the telling, as they ask me, I'm gonna be, I'm, 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 I'm looking to get this outline here. And what I want to do is, here's the phrase here, I want to move from being familiar with this outline you've got here to internalizing it. And you do that by practicing it. Can you just turn over the outline there? Just turn it over. Can you see it? there's a tracing outline there? There we go. So you can, it sort of gives you the outline there. What I'd say to you now, we don't have time now because we're going to finish, but just practice it. You practice, Go home, practice it with your wife, your flatmate, whatever. You just practice it. You just get it in place. God's made the world we've sinned. And then, let me just finish by saying here are six different uses of it. Six different uses of this outline that, that enable you to internalize it and get it in place. First use of it is it's just a way of explaining Christian faith. So what did you do at the weekend? I went to church. Why do you, why do, you do church? Well, I think it was God's world. I think we've turned against him. I think we'll be held accountable. He'll say, do you know me at the end of life? I think Christ died so I could be forgiven. He rose to show it's all true. That's why I go. You hear me do the six boxes. Now, it's a pain line. It's a pain line, everybody. Okay? It's charming. If you want to spend your life being charming, you're not going to get there. But say, actually, no, I think God did. You might just want to stay in one box. I think God made the world. But it's an outline. Secondly, praying with the dying. With some of you, you've got relatives. They're dying. You can't speak to them. They're too cross. But you can go in and say, look, uh, Uncle Ian, could I just pray? It would be a great comfort to me if I could pray. You pray in the gospel with them as they're dying. You're the last hope they've got. I've often done this with people. Lord God, thank you for my uncle Ian. Thank you for the lovely man he's been, for the kindness he's shown to me and the family. But we know we're not as we should be. And Lord, we know that there is a day of accounting. You'll ask us if we know you and if we've been forgiven. Thank you, the Lord Jesus died to save us from sin. Thank you that he rose. So in the face of death, we can have comfort. He can get us through death because he got through himself. So Lord, at this moment, I choose to put myself and my uncle in your hands. Amen. It's a pain line, but you pray, you don't speak. And you write out a prayer for the person and then give it to them. That's what you do. You may be the last hope they've got. You go in and see them as they're dying and you, and, and you do that. Number three, for the question that comes in, the question we've got here explore, explain, encourage, you, what you do is that whatever they ask, you think, what's the next thing to say? Okay, I, I had a rugby friend, he was an atheist. He spends five years with his wife trying to have a child. They get married uh, early. And eventually, a baby is born. And he said to me, as he, he said, as I was holding Kate Rico, six foot six, this guy. So I was holding my daughter, Kate. My, my wife was asleep in the, in, the, in the room in the hospital. I was in tears as I held my daughter. And he said, Rico, I think I should tell you I moved at that moment from being an atheist to an agnostic. That's what he said to me. Now, everybody, what box has he just jumped into? He's holding his baby girl. He says, I've just moved from atheist to agnostic. Which boxes? Just have a look at your outline there. Which boxes he just jumped into? He's just jumped into box one. He says, she's not just a piece of meat. This is I said, I'm not saying I'm a believer, but she's amazing. What do I then do? I say, mate, you're right. She's amazing. And how have you treated the person who gave you her? She's a gift. How have you treated I mean the Lord's given and he's given you lots of other gifts mate now it's a pain line but it's the one I push back with how have you treated him and there'll be a day when he'll say did we know each other and you know he knows what it is to have a son he sent his son to die you know what it is to have a daughter so please you know let's think about this do you see what I mean The, the framework enables me to answer the question fourth use of it This is a a framework for when you hear, it's a systematic theology. When you hear a sermon, you can can put it into those boxes. So you hear a sermon, you can can stick it in the boxes. Fifth use, okay, when people ask you questions, you know, what about suffering? You've got the outline here and you can say, well, look, you know, the biggest problem is box two. We put the crown on our own head. I don't believe in God, box five. Well, there's this resurrection. What, What do you make of the resurrection of Jesus? And then the last use, for whatever job you're doing, we're closing now, whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, this is the framework that hits life. So when, I'm, when I see a married couple, whether they're Christian or not, if they're getting married or they're engaged, I say, can I just do an outline of Christian relationship and marriage? Here we go. And uh, it's amazing because it really strikes them. So I say, okay, box one, God's made the world. He's given you each other. Relationship is, is his gift, so be thankful. Okay, thankful people are happiness, happy people. Do you, it's a gift. And children are a gift. Sometimes they may not feel like that. They are a gift. Okay, box two. Why do marriages end? Well, what marriages end because people put the crown on their own ha- head, and marriages end because of selfishness. I've taken 200 marriages. They end because of selfishness. Somebody makes up the rules. Somebody says, I'm making up the rules. And people ignore God. That's how marriages end. Box three. Why is it so important that there's a judgment to come? Well, because vows, marriage vows are not disposable. God says, my wife Lucy is not disposable. So at three in the morning, the reason I get up with a baby, and she's so good at playing dead, she could work for MI5. The reason I get up with a baby is because God's watching. Judgment's a great thing. It's great there's a judgment. He's judging how we treat people. Box four, how do you forgive each other in marriage? Well, you see, the cross of Jesus isn't just horizontal it's vertical so I say to people do please jot this down we're finishing now I say two things I say your marriage survives on this two phrases I'm sorry I was wrong and that's okay I forgive you Or that's okay I love you that is the cycle of reconciliation in marriage I'm sorry I was wrong that's okay I forgive you and when people start saying sorry to each other it transforms the relationship because they're aligning themselves with the universe But where do you get the strength to do this? Well, when a couple get married, the first thing they do after they get married is they kneel. So I've I've seen a couple get married here. First thing they do after they're married is they kneel because they say, Lord, please help us to keep these vows. And as we finish, what does it mean you're going to do? Are you going to live your own way in God's world? Is that what you're going to do or are you going to say no? I will trust God to know what's best and I'll live his way in his universe under his authority. There's a choice there. So do you see how the, you know, we could apply that to your workplace, we could do it elsewhere, but six different uses of it. So brothers, go away with this. Get your pain line question for your colleagues and loved ones. Write it in your Bible. Pray for an opportunity to ask it. Have this as the outline and that's what you, that's what you then try and answer with. And if you don't know, you say, oh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Can I get back to you? The cults know all the answers. We don't. We just say, oh yeah, no, that's good. I'm, no, you've got me there. Can I get back to you? Let me pray. So just a moment now to think of an individual. Think of someone you know well. You actually have done quite a lot of life with them. You've celebrated them. served them a bit. What's the pain line question for them? What is the question which actually enables you to know them well and ask a question that opens up maybe that point of vulnerability of weakness that they need to work through. Oh, Father God, we do pray you'd give us courage. Please, Lord, may we have the courage to ask these questions. Give us grace and affection as we do it. But, Lord, please, may we discover not hostility but hunger. If there's hostility, Lord, may we know our identities in Christ. But, Lord, we do pray that, that as we ask these questions, they would open up hunger. Thank you for the way the Christian faith is growing in this city. Thank you for more and more people coming to you. We're so encouraged by it. But Father, please, we pray for courage in a culture that's hard. Please, Lord, we can't do this ourselves. Help us to be men of courage. Amen.
0: Can we just show our appreciation for Rico for sharing with us this morning? Thank you. So, so helpful. So much to to think about. Now, some of you will need to slip away to work now, but we started a few minutes late. And what we like to do at Burning Man is finish by praying with and for each other. As Rico said, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's help to go out into our places of work, into a hostile world and live this stuff out. So if you can stick around for uh, three or four minutes, I'd encourage you to just stay in your groups Pray with and for each other very briefly, and then we'll have a firm finish in three or four minutes. Uh, And just to remind you, we're back here in two weeks for the start of our new series, The Tough Sayings of Jesus. We'd love to see you here. We'd love to see you bring a friend, bring a brother. Uh, And on your way out, uh, if you'd like to contribute, uh, there are some basic costs to the running of this ministry. Uh, We suggest five pounds a session. I hope you feel it's worth it. Uh, There's a donation box on your way out, uh, but feel no pressure. Have a great day, and uh, do finish up in three or four minutes. Do finish up your prayers um, as and when. We're going to draw a formal line uh, to proceedings there, but fantastic to have you all with us this morning, gents. In two weeks' time, we've got Jonathan Fletcher looking at uh, the tough saying of hating our own family, hating your own family. It's the cost of discipleship, so we look forward to seeing you then. God bless.